It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, December 8th. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. What began as a tiny garden bed on the front lawn has blossomed into a full-fledged farm-to-table program for Sitka's Alternative High School. Pacific High in Sitka this year opened an 1,100-square-foot greenhouse on school grounds, supplemented by an extensive outdoor garden. Principal Mandy Summer outlined the program for the Sitka School Board on Wednesday. She said that it's not just about growing plants. So the purpose of our program um, is really to build career, technical, and general skills in youth um, that they will need to thrive in the future. We have classes and activities that are 100% based in our farm-to-table program, um, and these include our spring gardening, um, our garden construction classes, our um, culinary classes that happen all year long, and our school-wide stewardship days. Pacific High has a small student population relative to the other high schools in Sitka. When the first garden plot was built in 2011, there was only one class associated with it called Reading and Weeding. Now there are tie-ins to classes in all academic areas and a grant-funded garden coordinator, Andrea Fraga, who corrals over 40 volunteers in summertime to support student gardeners. And Mandy Summer says that at Pacific High, all the students are gardeners. When we have garden stewardship days, um, even our most disengaged students inside the building and inside the classroom are very engaged outside um, in the garden. Um, the work is supporting their confidence and their pride, um, supporting their development of a good work ethic. And the kitchen and garden spaces also allow us to make connections with traditional foods um, for our majority um, indigenous student body. Pacific High's farm-to-table program receives significant support from the Sitka Conservation Society, which at first served as administrator for the garden coordinator job, but has since spearheaded raising over $150,000 to construct the greenhouse. Gardening might not be at the top of the list of many conservation organizations, but the Society's Chandler O'Connell said the program is in the SCS wheelhouse. We strongly believe uh, in youth development as an essential pathway for building sustainable, thriving communities. Like, the youth in Southeast are so amazing and they often have so many incredible opportunities thanks to the environment and communities and cultures that hold them and surround them. And they also face really significant challenges. As you all know, people experiencing poverty, violence, trauma, struggling with mental health challenges. Um, and so programs that focus on early intervention, prevention, and also early exposure to career pathways that are rooted in values in place um, can make a really big difference. Although the structure is complete, there is still much to do to make the new greenhouse fully functional. Principal Summer said that there are outstanding grant applications for funding to supply utilities to the building and for other equipment to heat the garden beds in winter. The Sitka School Board was impressed with the program. Member Stephen Morse said the district owed a big thank you to the Conservation Society for their work to build the program. Chandler O'Connell responded that the students are building this program themselves right now, and that's been going on for 12 years, and that's really where the success lies. Alaska's campaign finance watchdog has denied a request to fast-track a complaint against a group collecting signatures on a petition to repeal Alaska's ranked-choice voting system. A complaint from the architect of the 2020 election reforms accused the repeal group, Alaskans for Honest Elections, of operating out of an Anchorage church and lying to regulators about it. Alaska Public Media's Eric Stone tracked Wednesday's hearing. Anchorage attorney Scott Kendall is the chief creator of the state's new voting method. It features a nonpartisan primary followed by a ranked choice general election. 
At the hearing, Kendall accused anti-ranked choice advocates of running a shadow campaign out of an Anchorage church without proper reporting to the Alaska Public Offices Commission. Kendall also accused Wellspring Ministries pastor Art Mathias of lying to campaign regulators when he said at a prior hearing that the faith-based organizations he founded are not engaged in the repeal campaign. So the reality is we've got a church running a petition signature campaign from within its walls using its own employees. Kendall argued it was essential for APOC to hear his complaint promptly, saying that petition signers could be misled by the missing disclosures. The attorney defending Matthias and other anti-ranked choice advocates is former Alaska Attorney General Kevin Clarkson. He says Kendall's complaint is off base. Distortion of facts, twisting of words to bend reality, half-truths, and misrepresentations. That's what this entire complaint and what you've just heard for about an hour and a half is all about. Clarkson says the church itself is not running a campaign. He says the repeal group simply hired a contractor to help gather signatures. The contractor then rented a room in the church, which he says is in line with campaign finance laws. They have multiple tenants in that building. They rent space. They typically only charge the cost of maintaining and operating the space that they rent, but they charge rent and they rent space to people. Matthias, the pastor, admits that the campaign contractor, Top Fundraising Solutions LLC, didn't have a written lease, and its owner hasn't actually paid the agreed-upon $300 monthly rent, even though she's already vacated the space. She has a check that she's prepared. I have not received it yet, but it's coming. Kendall's complaint also accuses Wellspring of using church employees to work on the anti-ranked choice campaign. He says the church receptionist has handed out petition booklets and gathered contact information. Clarkson says Wellspring billed top fundraising for the receptionist's time. He says that over the month or so the company used the office, it amounted to roughly half an hour. The five-member Public Offices Commission voted unanimously to deny fast-tracking the complaint, saying the allegations justify a fuller investigation. The commission said it would hear the case in February and ordered the petition group, Alaskans for Honest Elections, not to dissolve until all pending campaign finance complaints against it are resolved. Kendall says it's a complicated case, and he understands the commissioner's desire for a fuller investigation. We also appreciate the fact that they they put a moratorium on, on the honest elections folks dissolving their entity and trying to evade fines in that way. This is the third complaint Kendall has filed against advocates seeking to abolish Alaska's ranked choice system. Repeal advocates say they're planning to wrap up signature gathering by the end of this year. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Eric Stone. Using old recordings, Tlingit language experts are documenting and compiling hand gestures used by birth speakers that have meaning in the context of the language. KTOO's Yvonne Crumry spoke with language scholars and has this story. Tlingit scholar Jeff Lear noticed gestures an elder would make when telling stories when he was young. When she was talking along and talking about a person sitting, you know, you'd take your uh, right index finger and put it erect, and then you crook it about halfway. It looks like it's bent uh, at about a 90-degree angle. Lear leads the Sea Alaska Heritage Institute's Tlingit Gesture System program. He's been studying Tlingit for nearly 60 years. He took American Sign Language classes in Chicago, and when he came back to record stories with elders like Elizabeth Nyman in the 1980s and 90s, he began to see these gestures as an integral part of the Tlingit language. Robbie Littlefield has been documenting the gestures as well. One elder told her these gestures were often used when people were hunting and didn't want to make much noise. 
or when they were across the bay from each other, in sight, but not in shouting distance. So he showed me how um, he raised one arm up in the air and the other hand made a movement toward the fingertips of the arm that was up so that there was movement and to say that the tide is rising. Littlefield is an educator teaching Tlingit to students from middle school to the college level. And she said these gestures could open more pathways for students to absorb the language. So when you learn a new word or a whole sentence, you do that physical motion or movement or expression on your face, and it locks the word into your long-term memory. Lear said that since he started recording gestures, he's documented about 100 of them. But he doesn't think the number stops there. I'm sure there are many, many other gestures out there. And what we would like to do is to find the people that still know and use those gestures and add to our corpus of the Tlingit gesture system. Lear said this gesture system could allow learners to use less English to fill in blanks in the classroom setting. The idea is to develop the gesture system into a true sign language so that it can be used to teach Tlingit in the schools without recourse to English. See Alaska Heritage Institute is sponsoring the program using reparations funding from the Presbyterian Church's recent apology to Juno's Tlingit community. SHI said in a press release that they plan to investigate whether there are similar gestures and associations in the Haida and Simsian languages, Hotkill and Smalyek. In Juno, I'm Yvonne Cormery. Juneau residents have until Christmas Day to provide input on the potential environmental impacts of the city's proposed compost facility. Last year, the federal infrastructure spending bill earmarked $2.5 million in funding for the design and construction of a municipal facility. Diana Robinson is an environmental project specialist for the city's Engineering and Public Works Department. She says the facility could divert over a fifth of the waste going into Juneau's only landfill each year. That's needed. The privately owned capital disposal landfill is only expected to last for about 20 more years. The compost facility is slated to be at the former Lemon Creek gravel pit. According to an assessment released by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, no significant environmental impacts are anticipated. Juno resident Lisa Doherty runs Juno Compost, a privately owned compost facility. The business has been leasing CBJ land in Lemon Creek since 2019. It's a short walk away from the proposed site. Doherty is concerned about what the new facility could mean for her business and fears it could close her down. She created a petition asking the city to put out a request for proposals and ideally choose her to collaborate with on the design and construction process. But the city is waiting until the project is built to find a partner. Doherty says that's far too late. Robinson says the city is aware of Doherty's concern, but she says it's too early in the process to begin seeking out businesses to contract with. The facility has a long way to go before construction begins. The city estimates it won't open to the public until 2027 at the earliest. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. A spot that